Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on a mission. What would it have been like to be in the crowds, waving Jesus into Jerusalem? Imagine the, the swarms of people that are surrounding him, the, 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 the shouts that are coming fr from the crowd as, as they welcome him into the city. It's like a, a, a cyclist racing to the finish in the Tour de France. Imagine that. The crowds that had been following Jesus in his ministry, seeing the things that, that he was doing, uh, thinking to themselves, is this the Messiah? Is this the one who will finally save us? Will he deliver us from our brokenness? As the morning sun creeps over the city, J Jesus enters in on a donkey. Thoughts of the, the people shouting and acclaiming Jesus were chock full of expectation. That Jesus was the son of David, the king that will save them. Th their expectations of Jesus centered around their longing to be freed from the hands of the Romans. They looked back on their ancestors and the times that, that, that they were free to worship God in, in Jerusalem not under the hand of, of oppression. They, they looked back to a time when they were feared by the other nations in battle. They looked back to a time when, when their economy was booming, when, when the nation was flourishing, and the cry of their hearts, Hosanna, save us, save us. They also longed to be pure. The, the Jews were the, the called out people set apart by God as his possession, and, and the, the Roman captivity was muddying those waters. All this and more created an ache in the hearts of, of the people in the crowd for a past that's not like the present, for brokenness that they longed to be freed from. Hosanna, which means save us. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. This was their cry. This was the longing in their hearts to be finished with a chapter of their story that they would like to forget. Can you imagine yourself in that crowd, ushering Jesus into the royal city? You know, we might not ha have been in Jerusalem this morning. We might not have been welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem, but we definitely came to worship this morning. All of us are gathered into this place, and we have brought things with us. Some visible things like kids and grandkids or peppermints. Or that library book that is overdue. We all bring visible things with us into worship. Things that people can see. But we also bring invisible things. Invisible things that nobody knows. Or not many do. We bring the cries of our hearts. Because we too experience a world in which things are not the way that they should be. We feel it. Grief covers some of us. Our bodies are broken. Some of us experience that deterioration in very real ways. 
Some of us are just completely overwhelmed with stress and anxiety or are in jobs that are just underwhelming and mundane. We bring these things with us into worship. What's on your heart today? What are you carrying with you into worship this morning? What is the cry of your heart? Where are you in the crowd? Crowd of people welcoming Jesus into the city saying, Save us, son of David. Whether we admit it or not, there are things in our lives and in our world that are not the way we should be. And in worship, we are able to bring these things with us and lay them at the feet of Jesus and to the feet of one another as we, as we journey with each other. When we think about it, we really aren't too far off from the crowds that ushered Jesus into Jerusalem so many years ago. We long to be set free from the captivity of the brokenness in our world, which we're a part of. And we long to be a part of something that doesn't include pain or loss or sadness or grief. We want to be in a place where when, when people say that they're doing good, we actually know that they're doing good. See, the story of Palm Sunday, as, as we mentioned in our time of confession this morning, is that the crowds that welcomed Jesus into the city quickly turned into cries, crucify him, crucify him. The shouts of, of palm branches and, and praise didn't last very long. Soon it became clear that Jesus w was perhaps on a different mission than they had thought that he was. You know, we get this hint almost right away when we, we read that Jesus rode into the city on a donkey. This is kind of like riding into the city of Hamilton in a 2001 Honda Civic instead of a blacked-out Cadillac with a police escort. You know, a little while ago, uh, as a church community, we went through uh, the Mark 11 and 12, which tells the story of this coming week, Passion Week. A week in which Jesus was in the city of Jerusalem and it became very clear to the people th there that, that Jesus was, had a different agenda than what they expected from a Messiah. He's questioned by a lot of people and, and, and he's, he's doing things that they didn't quite expect him to do. This is what, what led to the people and their hope of a, of a Messiah that would be a strong political military leader who would lead a revolution. That began, began to dwindle and to fade, and, and that led to shouts of crucify him, crucify him. What happened? Why does the heart cry on Sunday turn to a death cry on Friday? Well, their understanding of his mission. What was Jesus doing? That was confused in their hearts. Because the mission of Jesus actually goes back further than the Roman captivity, all the way back to the beginning of the world. The beginning of the, the Bible tells the story of God's creation. And when God created the heavens and the earth, he created everything good. And he placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and, and told them to, to go and use the things that he created, make them better. He provided them with food. He, and he said to them, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for this one. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from that tree, you will surely 
die. And, and for those of us who know the story, we know that it didn't take long for Adam and Eve to, to be tempted by the serpent and to fall into that temptation and to disobey God and eat the fruit of the tree that God commanded them not to. And by doing this, they ruined the relationship that they had with God, their father. They severed the intimacy, the purity that was there, and they introduced brokenness into the world. They struck a dissonant note that continues to this very day. This note of pain was it the heart cry of the people on Palm Sunday and the crucify cry on Good Friday. You see, we easily find ourselves in the crowds on Palm Sunday, but we are also just as much a part of the Good Friday crowds too. Because not only do we cry out at the brokenness in the world, but we participate in it. We add to this dissonance around us, and we can't get ourselves out. We try harder, but it sometimes seems like the harder we try, the, the more we seem to mess things up. These are part of the consequences for sin against God, and the reverberations of it leave, leave shockwaves that we feel in our world today. Remember, though, Jesus was on a mission. See, early in, in uh, the book of Genesis, after Adam and Eve had sinned, there were consequences to their sin, and there were consequences also to evil itself in the serpent where God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So in the beginning of brokenness, almost before things begin to unravel, God gives us an image, an image of a person, a human being that will finally crush the head of evil. Evil at its source. Evil at its deepest source. But during this battle, evil is going to bite this person in the heel, causing them to die. It's a strange image that, that we read in the book of Genesis, and it is left hanging for most of the story of the Bible until Jesus comes along and claims to be the one that will make all things right. Jesus speaks to things deep within the human heart. His ministry on earth was full of this. He kicks out evil spirits. He heals diseases. He helps people overcome their sinful, destructive behaviors and addictions. Jesus' life and ministry is doing battle against the power of sin and evil in our world. And following behind him is a trail of new life. Following Jesus is a trail of people who have been transformed by the life that he brings into the world. This was the mission of Jesus. It wasn't to save the people from the Romans. It was to save the people from slavery to sin. To make all things new. And so on the cross, as Len read for us, we hear the words that Jesus said at the end, it is finished. What does this mean? 
Well, the word finished in the Greek has two English words welded together into one. The first word is, is, is a word for finished, meaning that there is a point in time in which something has come to be. This is the word that a teacher would use after the exam is done and the time is complete and you have to hand in the paper. When they announce that three-hour exam is done, they say, it is finished. Hand it in. Your work is done. That is one meaning of this word that Jesus says on the cross. But the other English word is the word accomplished. Accomplished. This would be what you would say if you, you finished your homework or, or finished cutting the grass. Something is completed. Something is, is done away with. On the cross, we're given a picture of Jesus who has, in a moment in time, accomplished what he set out to do. The mission that he was on. He crushed the head of evil as it struck him in the heel. How did he do it? Well, he humbled himself. He, he humbled himself. God himself, he humbled himself and took the form of a human being. And he became obedient. Bible scholars say that Jesus' accomplishing has two meanings. First, that, that he was a complete revelation of God the Father. He perfectly reveals to us God's will for how people were created to live. And so on the cross, when he says, it is finished, he, he, has, he has lived a life of perfect obedience to his Father. A sinless life. Nobody has ever even come close to living the way that Jesus has. Tim Keller reminds us often that, that, that even if we think of ourselves as not that bad, or pretty good people, often we don't even live up to the expectations that we have on ourselves. We let ourselves down every day with how we want to live. And if we let ourselves down, we probably it's a pretty safe bet too that we also let God down. It's pretty impossible to think that we could live up to the expectation of God, but Jesus did. There are times in his life that, that we read in the scriptures about how he submitted himself to the will of the Father and obeyed even when his, it made his human nature cringe, when he was struggling with it. But revelation means more than obedience. Jesus revealing God to us means also that, that he shows us God's character. Paul says in Colossians that Jesus is, in the, is the image of the invisible God. He is a perfect revelation of God. So when we look at how Jesus acts, we can look and see God himself. The king of the universe, though, humbled himself rode into Jerusalem on a pathetic donkey, redeeming his people from slavery to sin by taking our sin upon his shoulders. It is finished. The good news of Jesus' death is that it is something in the past. And on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead, showing us that, that, that death itself is defeated. He has overcome death itself. Furthermore, he invites us 
by faith in him to experience this new life. Because of his finished mission, we are invited to have this new life too. And God's Spirit comes into us and makes us new, changes our lives. And so as we join the crowds, ushering Jesus into Jerusalem, longing to be set free from the brokenness in our world, we can look to Jesus who has finished the task, has overcome even death itself. So we live in the it is finished world where death no longer has lasting consequences. Sin has lost its grip on us. And instead, death, death is the entranceway into eternal life forever with God. And where we still experience brokenness and loss and pain, we can look to God who has authority in this world and a love deep enough that he w was willing to let his son die so that we could be redeemed. This doesn't explain suffering and brokenness that, that happens in our world, but it does tell us that we are never alone in the midst of it. We are held by Jesus Christ who descended to every dark place even before we have. The Catechism talks about this when, it, when it's talking about the Apostles' Creed, and it says that Jesus Christ descended even to hell. So that we know that, that when we are being tormented, when we are being tempted, that we are not alone in that. And Jesus Christ is there with us. And through it all, working things together for his glory. We have in front of us what we call signs and seals of God's finished work. This is the it is finished table. We call these signs because they point us to the death and the resurrection of the body and blood of Jesus Christ that is poured out for us. And they are seals because this promise belongs to us because it's received by a gift, not because we earn it. Our salvation is a gift, and so God seals it on our hearts through the Lord's Supper. These are signs and seals of God's finished work that are meant to nourish us as we live and, and offer us a taste of the feast that will come in its fullness when Christ returns. The song we're about to sing as the song of response it puts it so well. And in verse 5, it, it says this, When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring, this anew, this song will sing, Hallelujah, what a Savior. It is finished. Evil has been defeated, and through Christ we can experience newness of life, even now. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.